Please do you find a Bible near you and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, page 1172. We're going to be picking up Galatians from chapter 5, verse 13. Galatians 5, beginning at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other... Watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Good evening, everybody. The world's idea of freedom is something like standing on the bow of a super yacht with a cold drink in your hand overlooking crystal blue waters while the sun warms your skin. No deadlines, no obligations, no schedule, the freedom to do whatever you want. And we've got to admit, that sounds pretty appealing on a warm day like this. But Christian freedom is different. Again, it's, it's still standing on the yacht without obligations, schedule or deadlines. still standing on the yacht, but it's then choosing to sail back to port, handing your cold drink to the nearest uh, needy person, and then selling the yacht so that you can give the money uh, to serve others. There's a big difference between the world's idea of freedom and God's idea of freedom. We see that in verse 13. 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That phrase, indulging the flesh, it's not directly about holidays in the Caribbean, so there is still hope for us. But um, flesh has a range of nuanced meanings in the New Testament, and I think it's useful for us to understand this. At one end of the range, it can just be like a morally neutral way of referring to the human body or humans as a whole. For example, the word became flesh. Um, But we're not talking about the physical body here. We're way at the other end of the range where flesh refers not just to human beings distinct from God, but human beings in opposition to God. It's not a physical thing. It's a, a whole human reality in opposition to God. Um, So then, while previous generations might have concluded that indulging the flesh meant giving in to certain physical, bodily desires, um, actually what we're talking about here is more about giving space for any ungodly desire of any kind, not just stuff like food, um, drink, or sex. As we'll see later, indulging the flesh in this context has a particular leaning towards community life. Community life as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Um, You get a little hint in verse 15 of what um, happens when we indulge the flesh. Biting and devouring one another like wild animals until we consume each other. Delightful. Um, So, negatively, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but... Positively, use your freedom to serve one another humbly in love. Or if we're being super literal, act as slaves. How ironic. God says, you are free. Now behave as if you were slaves. I don't often quote from Martin Luther, but that reformer summed this up well in one of his books. He said, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is the perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Again, specific examples of what this looks like to follow later. But for now, I want us to face up to the reality that this is a really, really hard command to follow. It seems like we're letting the toddler out of the playpen and then expecting them to immediately behave like a sensible adult. Aha, I'm free. No, I'm not going to knock over all the vases. Instead, I'm going to go around and serve people drinks. The agitators in Galatia believed that moral Christian living was only possible if the toddler stays in the playpen. If you're going to live a moral Christian life, you need the gospel plus In order to restrain the corrupting influence of the flesh, they would say, you need the law. Um, But unsurprisingly, if you've been following through Galatians with us, Paul doesn't think so. We are free not to indulge, but to serve. And we really can do this. We really can do this. The gospel gives us everything we need 
to live the Christian life. These verses in front of us are so helpful if you're stuck in sin. These verses in front of us are so helpful in giving us a vision for what our families and our church really can be like. Firstly, um, we can do this with new motivation, uh, verses 14 to 15. Um, Actually, we'll pick up at the end of verse 13, and I hope you don't mind. I'm going to put it up on the screen in a translation that maintains the original word order. In love, act as slaves toward one another, for the entire law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Let me be straight with you. On a hot evening like today, this bit's going to require some brain power, but I promise you it'll be worth it. It makes a difference. By putting in love at the start of the sentence, Paul was deliberately emphasizing it as important. We could achieve the same effect if we got out a yellow highlighter. In love could describe just the manner of our serving. So act as slaves with an attitude of love while you serve. But that falls short of what God is saying here. Love is more important than that. Love is not only the manner of our serving. Love here is the motivation for our serving. It's the reason we are to use our freedom to act as slaves. Uh, But then, of course, no, 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 say the agitators. Paul, what are you talking about? Our motivation for Christian living is the whole law. You can't just take one bit of the law about love out of context and say that's the motivation now. But Paul counters that in verse 14. Um, Verse 14, it's not giving the reason why we should serve. Again, brain power, you can do this. Verse 14 gives us the reason why love should be the motivation for our service. You might notice that there's a little footnote in your Bibles pointing down. Um, to Leviticus 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. You will find those words in Leviticus. But the footnote is misleading because I don't think Paul is really quoting Leviticus. Actually, he's quoting Christ. I say that because if you look across um, in your Bibles to Galatians 6, verse 2, you'll see the phrase, the law of Christ. They are one and the same. One day, when Jesus was teaching with such power that all his opponents had nothing to say, they were completely silent, apart from one Pharisee uh, who thought that he had an impossible question. This is from Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul And with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus says the whole law, with all of its intricate commands about food and festivals and rituals, can be summed up in one word love. Love for God, love for your neighbor. That is the law of Christ. So back to verse 14 in Galatians. 
Why should love be the motivation for our serving? Because Jesus' teaching has refined the Christian's relationship with the law. Elsewhere in the Bible, we'd see that the law is still useful. But as verse 18 says, we are no longer under it. It's no longer our motivation anymore. It's no longer our master. Rather, the law of Christ fulfills the whole thing by drawing attention to the principle that underlies it. Now, that was some serious brain power. Um, If you still find yourself asking the question, um, but how exactly does love fulfill the law? Paul's answer is, because Jesus says it does. Um, And if you really want to press it and you go, yes, but um, why does Jesus say it does? Jesus would probably say something like, because this inward heart attitude of love surpasses all outward regulations. The command to use freedom not to indulge but to serve seems impossible. So we need an impossibly powerful motivation to do it. And there is no higher motivation than love. There's nothing that love won't do. There is nowhere that love won't go. Without even a moment's hesitation, you would jump in front of a bullet. You'd dive on a grenade for the sake of love, wouldn't you? And this powerful motivation of love, I mean, we see that most perfectly in Jesus, don't we? It wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was his love for guilty sinners like me and you. In love for me, in love for you, he acted like a slave by taking our chains of sin and death and law so that we can go free. And now he asks us to do likewise. Love like I love, so you can serve like I serve. We are free not to indulge, but to serve. We can do this with the new motivation of love. Law doesn't create loving people. I think we know that. Law doesn't create loving people. It creates legalistic people who are judgy and cold, but the gospel does create loving people. The more we understand that genuine good news that we've been reading about in Galatians, the more loving we become. It's inevitable. When we worship the God of grace and mercy, we in turn become more gracious, more merciful. It's inevitable. Yes, sometimes we find it hard to love our brothers and sisters here. Yes, we sometimes find it hard to love our non-Christian neighbors. It's not really surprising. None of us here and None of us anywhere else are lovely all the time. And yet when we understand the gospel, we understand that we have a God who loves the unlovely. Remember him, then love. Secondly, we can do this with new power. Verses 16 to 18, and borrowing a little bit from the end. Um, Let's start from verse 16. So I say... Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This paragraph has got two encouragements with a warning in the middle. And we'll start with the warning. 
from verse 17. Christian, you are caught up in a battle between two powers. The power of the flesh and the power of the spirit. The spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God at work in his children. And as we read back in chapter 4, verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Every person who's been saved by grace through faith has the Holy Spirit living in their heart. That's what that verse says. Which is an idea that most of us are familiar with, or many of us are familiar with. But it actually is astonishing, if you think about it. God lives in us. He's with you when you wake up. He's with you when you go to sleep. That's astonishing. The flesh, as I've already said, is not a physical thing. It's the whole of humanity in opposition to God. It's not talking about our physical body as if it was evil. The flesh, in contexts like this, refers to a power at work in us that desires sin. Just as the Spirit is in our hearts, with us wherever we go, so too the flesh. We cannot escape it. It's in us. It's all around us. We will never be without it until we're made new in the resurrection. Verse 17 shows that the Spirit and the flesh have competing desires. One wants to indulge, one wants to serve. And because of this, you are not to do whatever you want. That's certainly true. Certainly true. Today's society values authenticity above all else, doesn't it? Be true to yourself. You do you. Go with your guts. But I think it's idiotic and dangerous to exalt authenticity to a high-order virtue. Would you say, go with your gut to a murderer? Would you say, you do you? to a rapist? Of course not. That's, that's vulgar. That's horrific. Us too, we need to know that our hearts are being pulled at all times in opposite directions. It's never okay to excuse your behavior by saying, I'm just being authentic. This is who I am. No, When you go with your guts, you are not exercising autonomous free will. In every decision, you're either being driven by the power of the spirit or the power of the flesh. That's the warning. But for Christians, there is great encouragement here. Um, Yes, there is conflict, but one side is far stronger. The spirit is more powerful than the flesh. God promises in verse 16, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Are you in a particular battle against the flesh at the moment? Do you feel like you're always on the losing side? Has addiction got its terrible claws in you? God promises you victory if you live by the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to live by the Spirit? Um, The word is actually walk. Uh, If you walk 
by the Spirit. The whole of life is being described like a long walk. Walk by the Spirit. That means two things. It means to walk with the Spirit's power, and it means to walk with the Spirit's direction. Walk with the Spirit's power, walk with the Spirit's direction. When we walk with the Spirit's power, we learn that the only way forward, the only way to take a step forward is on our knees. We walk with the Spirit's power when we recognize that all human effort is useless unless it is laid on a foundation of prayer. And we walk with the Spirit's direction when we let him decide where we go. Um, as verse 18 implies, if you are led by the Spirit. It's just telling the other side of the story. This is really about who gets to decide what is right and wrong. Are you going to be like everyone else, going with your gut because that feels right? Or will you let the Spirit determine left from right and right from wrong? Sometimes the Spirit will direct you into accountability with another trusted believer. Sometimes he'll work his power through their wise words and loving challenge. Maybe the Spirit is calling some of you to open up to a friend this evening about the battle you're facing with the flesh. Sometimes the Spirit will direct you to walk into a treatment center for addiction. Sometimes he'll work his power through normal means like a 12-step program or cognitive behavioral therapy or other medical interventions. Maybe that's where the Spirit is causing, calling you to walk in your battle against the flesh and against addiction. But the means that the Spirit will always use to empower and direct our prayer, the word of God, the fellowship of believers. Walking with the Spirit will always involve those three things. Um, looking down at verse 24 and 25, um, our need is re-emphasized here. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its pa uh, passions and desires. When Christ died on the cross, our old way of life died too. It is dead and buried. But the flesh still is at work. We still need to keep in step with the Spirit, as we see in verse 25. That's another way of saying submitting, keeping on submitting to His power, to His direction. We are free not to indulge, but to serve. And we can do this with the new power of the Spirit. Lastly, briefly, we can do this with new results. In verses um, 19 to 21, we see the acts of the flesh. And then in verses 22 to 23, we see the fruit of the Spirit. And after each list, we're given a concluding comment. Um, you could see these lists as elaborating verse 17. Here are the desires of the flesh. Here are the desires of the Spirit. But it's really, really easy for us to read these lists as New Testament law. Don't do this. Don't uh, be involved in sexual immorality. Don't be involved in impurity, debauchery, all that. Instead, um, do 
love, do joy, do peace, be more forbearing, be more kind. But preaching law from Galatians is like trying to teach about love from a maths textbook. It's just, it's just not what it's about. These lists are promises. If you continue to live by the flesh, uh, if you continue to be motivated by law, um, you won't succeed in suppressing and combating the desires of the flesh. And God promises that this is what your life will look like. This is what your community will look like. This is what your church will look like. This is what your family will look like. And it's, and it's horrible. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. If you continue to try and fight against the flesh with law, this is the result. You will not be successful in that battle. And there's a horrible warning. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the inheritance reserved for his children when the world is made new. This warning doesn't mean that that kingdom's reserved only for sinless people. This doesn't speak of those who've committed specific acts of sin or even those who are in an ongoing struggle with sin where they occasionally fail. Rather, it's for those for whom there is no struggle. They've given up the fight and their lives are now characterized by these sins. Such people prove that they were never free in the first place. The inevitable consequence of trying to fight sin with the law. However, the opposite is true too. When we look down at that list between verse 22 and 23, it's so easy to think of it as a to-do list, but it's not. Again, it's a promise. This is the inevitable consequence when you do walk by the Spirit, when you do keep in step with him, when you're submitting to his direction and his power. This is what will happen. This is what your family will look like. This is what your church will look like. This is what your communities will look like. As I read the list, imagine what it would be like to be part of a family like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you live by the Spirit, that is what will happen. And that will be wonderful to be a part of. I know that battling with the flesh seems impossible sometimes, but have you ever been surfing when the sea is choppy? When you're still in the shadows, it's hard to make uh, shallows. It's hard to make any progress at all. You've got this cumbersome, heavy board, and there's a cord strapped to your ankle, and you just get battered by breaking wave after breaking wave. Um, one knocks you off balance. You go under. You come up again just in time to take a big deep lungful of, nope, that's not air, that's another salty water 
filled wave. But you keep kicking, you keep pushing, and then suddenly everything is calm. You're out of the shallows and into deep water. You're past the breakers and now you can just drift, calmly sitting on your board as the sea takes you gently up and down, up and down. Often the battle with the flesh is like that. Progress is really slow to begin with. You feel like you're never going to be able to break the cycle. You get knocked down after wave and wave of sin. It it hits you before you've had a chance to get your guard up. But if you keep walking in the Spirit's power, with the Spirit's direction, you do get through those breaking waves. The early hard work is worth it. It becomes a lot easier after that. In the gospel, we have been given everything we need to use our freedom well. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is a promise. It's a battle that we're going to be fighting every day until we reach glory. But it's one well worth fighting. We can do this. Let's pray. Father God, um, you know our hearts. You know where we're fighting battles with the flesh. Father, I just want to lift up anyone who's feeling like they're tr- they've tried everything, but they're still failing. Father, pray that you would help them to walk with the Spirit's power and to walk with the Spirit's direction. Lord, we pray that you would bring victory over that struggle. We pray that you would break that chain of addiction. Lord, we pray that you would get all the glory because only you can do this. In Jesus' name, amen. The musicians are going to come out to the front and...